You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We haven't even hit the NFL offseason yet, but it feels like the story of the offseason is going to be changed all across the league at the quarterback position, and another domino today has fallen to that effect. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And Sarah, we've spent so much time recently talking about Deshaun Watson and uh, you know where he's going to end up, and there's still question marks about Dak and where he's going to go. But there's this whole chapter in the NFL that feels like it's about to close. For some quarterbacks that have been iconic generation-defining players on the field that feel like they're at the end of their career today. One of them has decided to step away as Philip Rivers announces he will retire from the NFL and that his playing career is done, leaving the Colts uh, sort of trying to figure out what's next and him for the opportunity to walk away. I'm not sure that it's a moment that surprised me, Sarah, but it definitely reminds us that we're about to see a lot of transition across the NFL. Yeah, I think you said it right. Today, the word of the day is change uh, in the NFL and otherwise. And Rivers deciding that today was the day to make the announcement. Some people wondered, would he get overshadowed by uh, the inauguration and everyone's focus being on that? But he was very specific about the reason for uh, this announcement coming. This is uh, uh, the day that he played in the AFC Championship without an uh, an ACL is one of the things that he pointed out, right? Um, and, and also... Um, you know, uh, I, I think seemed like a guy who cares about symbolism, right? In, in the way he spoke about about his departure, it felt like somebody who um, was was conscious of it's St. Sebastian's Feast Day. It's the day that he played in the AFC Championship without an a- ACL. It's it's literally 17 seasons later um, that he, you know, decides that he's hanging him up. I, I'm not surprised by it, um, but I do think anytime somebody isn't, a complete disaster at the end, you always wonder if they're going to go one more round and and see if they can make it work, uh, especially someone who never got a ring. Well, and especially as good as that Colts roster looks like it could be, you know, and so uh, obviously that that's going to be part of what they'll have to figure out next. Now, uh, immediately it feels like somebody says they retire and before they've even had a chance to finish their speech, we start debating what their legacy would be. That being said, <laughs> uh, Norm Turner, former Chargers coach, was on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin this morning and gave his thoughts to the, the argument that often comes up about Philip Rivers having never won the Super Bowl. The reality of it is, you know, there's only one team that's going to that's gonna win it. And, uh, you know, Phillip was in an era where there was a team that, that's won six of them, you know, over the over his 17-year career. You know, they kind of, New England's kind of dominated. And there's a lot of things that go into it. I think Phillip, through most of his career, has played at a championship level. And sometimes it doesn't end the way you want it to, but... Uh, there's no question his production and everything he's done, he's played at a championship level, and, and you can't deny, you know, he's fifth in all-time yardage, all the things, the number of starts in a row, second to Barb in that area. There's too many things that are at championship level, and, and I know being with them those six years and watching them compete, and, you know, he's, he's the reason we won a lot of those games. You know, he's very, very deserving of, of any of the – acknowledgments he gets, and I I see him as a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now, Sarah, I will say quickly, you and I agree that wins and losses aren't just a quarterback stat, and this is my moment to remind everybody 
As always, Dan Marino didn't win a Super Bowl. He still is one of the best quarterbacks of his lifetime. In fact, Warren Moon never went to a Super Bowl, and we all know how great his career was. Dan Fouts never went to a Super Bowl. We all know how great his career was. And in fact, if you look at the Hall of Fame, you can look no farther than Jim Plunkett, a quarterback that won two Super Bowls that is not in the Hall of Fame. So the conversation that his legacy will only be judged by uh, wins and losses and Super Bowl records to me, is that moment that I just want to yell, grab a history book, because that's never the way it's been done before, and that's not the way it should be done today or will be done moving forward. Well, the difficulty is in this conversation is there's the argument of, quote-unquote, compiler, someone who is around long enough to acquire a certain number of statistics that look impressive, fifth most passing yards ever, fifth most passing touchdowns ever, 252 straight starts, never missed a game in the regular season in the playoffs, which is unbelievable. And you could argue, okay, but was he ever the best during his time, which is another way of looking at it. And the reason that he didn't get that ring is because he was playing in a time with incredible quarterbacks, and those quarterbacks had better overall teams, right? But he was also an eight-time Pro Bowler, which means despite the quality of the players around him and despite not making it, he was still in the upper echelon. Now, the Pro Bowl is a difficult one because uh, when you when you use it to try to decide legacy and quality, it's it's you know it's a voted on thing that a lot of people get in when other guys get bounced, and sometimes they get bounced because they're off playing in the Super Bowl that you didn't make. Right. Um, And also worth noting, he made the postseason in all four seasons that he had LaDainian Toblinson, only two of the 10 seasons that he didn't have him. How much was his ability to get to the playoffs and 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 compete at the highest level because of the talent around him? But that's every player, every single guy in the Hall of Fame. You'd have to strip it down in football. It's so much more difficult fits because what was the defense on the team that they played for? Like, what were the weapons that they had? To me, he is a Hall of Famer, but. This is the kind of conversation that people at the sports bar love because you could cherry pick different stats and different facts about him to decide how to buoy the argument you want to make. Well, and what I love about what you did is you made an an entire argument about it. And I'm all in for having detailed conversation for all of this era of quarterbacks as we try and figure them out. I just don't want the one stat to be, well, you know what? He never played in the Super Bowl. Like, that's just stupid to me. Now, in the meantime... Uh, the Colts are now left without a quarterback, and they're not the only team. The Saints are going to likely be dealing, figuring out what their plan is without Drew Brees. And it had me thinking about a, a group text you know, a, that was going around on the weekend of games when Aaron Rodgers was kicking butt. And uh, somebody in one of the You're going to have to be more specific. Yeah, I know. Well, this weekend, <laughs> so every Aaron weekend, you've been up, sending people yeah. texts about Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> well, I was sent the text, and it was, oh, my God, I can't believe this team drafted a quarterback. And I've heard Golik Jr. sort of echo that sentiment on Chanae and Jr., And I would say that maybe we were all wrong. Like, I'm watching the rest of these quarterbacks as they hit the end of their career saying, it's better to bank on having your next guy two years early than waiting two years late. The Colts have no idea what they're going to do. The Saints maybe know what they're going to do. The Steelers have no idea what they're going to do. The Packers are going to take their time and say, you know what, we'll get some house money out of some wins with Aaron Rodgers, and when we're ready, we'll make the change, and uh, we don't have to wait for him to hit that wall to do it. Maybe the Packers actually outsmarted all of us. Fitz, that will be a question we can maybe answer when this season is over. But if the Packers fail to make the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl because Aaron Rodgers doesn't have enough weapons, then you're going to ask yourself, was it worth it to get out ahead of things and draft Jordan Love? Because that's the argument. That, that's always been the argument. It's not that you need to wait until your quarterback retires or is incapable of being effective to look for what's next. It's always been a useful decision for teams to look ahead even while they're still 
uh, blessed with a talented quarterback. The, 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 the conversation, especially with Green Bay, has always been how much time are you going to spend wasting one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback of all time, talent-wise? Obviously not accomplishments-wise. That's very clearly Tom Brady. But the fact that they decided we don't need to get a wide receiver for him, we're not worried about the weapons, we're going to spend our draft capital on a quarterback who's going to sit behind him as he has the best season potentially of his career up there with the best seasons of his career now. So who's to say he doesn't have another great season next year and the year after and the year after? And now you're sitting on a player that's behind him that you're going to lose either to free agency or not play at all and pay to not play while you could have shored up the weapons around him and won yourself a couple Super Bowls while you still have that guy since Jordan Love is not guaranteed but to if be quarter- anything. But if your quarterback puts up 4,300 yards and 48 touchdowns without any weapons, I mean, they, they, he's made the most. I mean, if their gamble okay, was— Okay, but what if did- they don't win and they could have if they had spent that on somebody to help buoy the, 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 the case that they have now to win, not the future? But after the season they've had, I think, if anything, what they've said is we looked around and felt like our weapons were good enough with the quarterback we have. I mean, and the season has to play that out. Even if they go into the Super Bowl and their wide receiver doesn't make a difference, can we really argue after the season they've had that they needed better weapons? Like— uh, Rodgers has proven he can do it by himself. They, they Are we going to find out? Aren't we going to find out, though? This is not enough for the Packers. Making it this far is not enough. That will not be considered You're a victory right, but, for the but, Packers. And so if you think they've had enough this season, that's very different than do they have enough to make it and then win a Super Bowl. But it's hard for me to argue after one game in a Super Bowl, if they come in and they just fall apart in that one game, that doesn't prove they don't have weapons more so than the 16 games they've already played prove that they do have those weapons. They can have a bad game weapon-wise, but still look around and say, hey, the offense turned out to produce at an incredible level. Matt LaFleur knew exactly what he wanted to do, the weapons he thought he needed. So to me, they've already proven that they have the weapons no matter what happens moving forward right. because the body of work already exists. It's a sliding doors thing for me. We can't know what the season would have looked like if they'd spent that pick on a weapon, right? If they would have been more dominant, if they would have been more set up to win the next game and the Super Bowl, you know? Well, we'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep debating it. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. Coming up after a week away, one NBA team is finally back on the court. We'll get you updated on that news next. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And, oh, my gosh, sir, we have interesting NBA news across the landscape that we got to get into. We're brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. First and foremost, some positive news in a COVID world. Uh, the Washington Wizards uh, appear to be back in action, back at practice after a week off due to COVID, uh, COVID contact tracing. And so they're finally back in action. And, Sarah, it seems like it would be weird to me after a week of nobody can be around each other. Now you come in and it's like, okay, we're good. We promise. We tested it out. Everybody can get back in action. And it's a reminder of how trying it is for certain teams to get any semblance of rhythm or normalcy in this, this basketball season. Yeah, I'm with you on the rhythm thing. I think I would feel pretty confident that things were good if they had to wait this long, right? I mean, if they waited this long, then the Fair idea point, that yeah. they would say, all right, we're good to come back, I would feel like they had checked all the uh, all the boxes. But you're right. I mean, rhythm-wise, this is tough. We saw with Kyrie Irving, the, 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 the most recent example of someone who missed some time, that they said, well, he can come back, but he needs to get back to basketball readiness. And sometimes I think we underestimate um, what that means for guys at this at this level. And so... Man, missing five games because of this uh, and having to get ready to, to go against the Bucks on Friday. Um, they're going to have to make up some time real quick. 
which is why one of the more interesting things to keep an eye on, I think, over the course of uh, the next month or so is the NBA and the way they handle the, the release of the second half of their schedule. Remember, everybody, they, they went halfway through the season and they'll announce the second half later. There's going to be a lot of postponements and cancellations to deal with at that point. So sort of how they manage the games that have been missed by certain teams moving into the second half of the season becomes one of the more interesting storylines. Also of interest to me, Sarah, is that the NBA is now enforcing rules that will not allow players to hug or shake hands at midcourt. And it's not just that. I mean, they've already been telling everybody, hey, no unnecessary contact on game nights. But now, because players are still hugging each other and you know slapping hands before the game, the NBA is going to move team security into the midcourt area to dissuade violations that include hugging and handshake. So it's like you're bringing in the, the hall monitor to make sure that you don't dap up with your boy right before you're about to sweat all over them during the course of an NBA game. It makes very little sense to me. Right, you're you're saying hall monitor for the daps. I'm saying more like uh, you know, the ruler at the school dance when there was there was some uh, <laughs> rules on how many inches apart you could be when you were slow dancing to uh, you know, stairway in heaven or whatever the jam was uh, during your era. Um, yeah, I mean it, it it so back in the summer when it was Spain and company, um you were very dearly missed. Uh, we talked about some of the MLB rules in that massive massive book of protocols as they were striving to be one of the first big team sports back. And it was no spitting and no crotch grabbing and no touching of these things. And and there was all this stuff that we were like, what's going to happen, though, if you spot someone spitting? Like, do they get removed from the game? Does their team take it out? Like, how are we enforcing? Is it a fine? And so for this, it feels like while it might seem absurd and probably pretty difficult to enforce, even if you do have hall monitors at half court, um, the, the expectation that what they're really doing is just saying we need to be remembering this at all times. That, that might be the main goal. It might not be that we can always prevent this, but if at any turn we can make it less likely that this spreads, we're going to do it because we're starting to reach the point where we realize this season will not continue unless we get much more drastic with our protocols. And we know that the players are not willing to do some of the things that we've otherwise suggested, whether that's sort of isolate or, or a bubble or whatever else. Well, and you know, all I keep thinking about is, Defense is already sort of optional in the NBA, so let's just make it easy. Oh, for come on. No defense at come all. Come on. Nobody, nobody post up on anybody. Nobody rub up on anybody, and we'll just be fine. No? I could think of some players that would be pretty excited about that. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it makes life easier. No, I, I do get your point. I just think it's funny that it, they feel they have to enforce it with, uh, you're right, like leaving space for the Holy Ghost in between everybody. And as a hugger, I get it. Uh, one other thing, obviously, of note today. Uh, that has had a lot of people's attention is today was obviously the inauguration of the new administration. But Sarah, I was I was watching earlier a couple of things here. Number one, I don't know if you saw Lady Gaga's version of the national <laughs> anthem. Uh, I was surprised that she was willing to sing it, frankly, because she was so stinking good at the Super Bowl <laughs> in San Francisco a few years ago. I was lucky enough to be on the field at that game, and they accidentally left us out on the field. So we were just standing nice. there by where she was. We stood there the whole game. Like, they forgot to get us. So I had nice. to pee the whole game, and I knew I was like, <laughs> once I go back in, they're not letting me back out on the field. So I was standing there, and I had goosebumps the entire time she sang it. I was a little surprised that she was willing to go back to bat for it, and then she crushed it again. So just a reminder that Lady Gaga, fantastic singer. Uh, Lady Gaga crushed it, and it was an exuberant anthem. There are kind, there are different kinds of anthems. Uh, 
you know, that it depend on the occasion of whether it, it needs to be solemn or, or, or thoughtful or in Fergie's case, not the song at all. Um, but in this case, it was it was joyful. Right. And that's a tough song to inject that kind of energy into because it's hard enough to sing already. But it was uh, it was remarkable. Uh, she crushed it. I thought um, I was nervous for J-Lo. Um, because J-Lo is a performer. I don't think of her as a singer. She can sing, of course, but she's not up there in the quality of voice like someone like Lady Gaga. And so I was nervous for her, but I actually thought she did a nice job. There is, I, I, I could see it either way, the people who did not like the interjection of Let's Get Loud. Yep, <laughs> she, yep. she, you know, this land is your land, into America the Beautiful, into Spanish, into Let's Get Loud, back to, uh, you know, the the final notes Um I, I kind of dug it. I think she pulled it off. It, it was it was it was okay. I, I'm kind of a traditionalist. I'll be the first to admit. Sometimes I'm like, uh, there was a moment for me where I started out with like, oh, that's cool, and then I thought, no, no, no longer cool. So yeah. So uh, that's the thing is, in the moment, I was like, she pulled it off, and then afterwards, I was like, ah, I don't know if we need. Let's get loud in the yeah. middle of the inauguration. But Garth Brooks too, like. I've, I, I'm not a huge Garth Brooks fan, but I know friends who said, like, as far as a live performer, he just crushes. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that Amazing Grace is his song. I did like how he asked people to sing with him there and at home, and I did, because I'm cheesy like that. I sang at home, looking at my TV Go screen. Go for um, it. I mean, you should. Yeah. And, so and I don't you... know if I would have chosen him for that song, but but he was fine. Yeah, I, and I think you're right. Like, he is one of the best performers, I think, in all of music. He's not one of the best singers, though. I mean, right. so... You know, These it, moments, I think, call for vocalists who stun you with the talent that they have, not so much because there isn't going to be a lot of lights and flashing. Things. I think with that being said, we'll put it out. Uh, we'll put it on the poll. Uh, yes. We'll uh, we'll put it out for everybody. Tweet us at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Who would you want to sing these songs? If you were being inaugurated, who would you want to do your anthem, your America the Beautiful, your Amazing Grace, whatever it is? Like, tell us your moment, who you'd want to sing it. Sarah, do you have, like, somebody that stands out to you? Um, I... I'm gonna save my answers for later, oh, but I, I like would. Li- I think I would like a stripped down acoustic Eddie Vedder. This land is your land. Oh, that sounds like I would need to partake before I chill. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're right back. To some where saucy nugs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get us your answers on who you'd want to do those uh, at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. We'll put it out there, and uh, we'll give you our thoughts later. Coming up, Chiefs Kingdom is on edge this week over their quarterback. We'll talk to a super fan next uh, that you love watching on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The invite remains uh, not extended. Hmm. But then again, the trip remains not happening. So it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. want to just get a car and I'll just walk around you in an elephant suit, we'll make it all work. Uh, I'm into that idea regardless. (laughs) Just independent of that trip ever happens, let's make that happen. Uh, Do you have it? I shouldn't even ask. I'm certain you have an elephant suit. Uh, That's just the kind of thing you and Sonny have around the house, Uh, hopefully for Halloween, but I'm not going to press for details. Uh, We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And joining us now, Saturday Night Live cast member and Chiefs superfan Heidi Gardner. Heidi was on my podcast a couple months ago. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. Rate, subscribe, etc. You know what to do. Um, we had such fun talking about the Chiefs that I figured uh, we'd welcome her back. So, Heidi, so great to talk to you. Let's start with the obvious. Uh, what are you thinking about Patrick Mahomes right now? Well, I want the best for Patrick, uh, period. Uh, whatever that is. So I I saw that he practiced today and I felt like that was a good sign. And I saw that his fiance posted an Insta story. So I felt like 
<laughs> that means he's Important. feeling good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, obviously I hope he plays, but only if he's, like, totally 100% and it's safe. But, uh, but yeah, we, we need our Mahomie. Well, I mean, Heidi, let's be real. The last time my beloved Raiders won a Super Bowl, I was six. So I don't know what this feels like. So what's the anxiety <laughs> like when you're coming off a Super Bowl? You, you finally get the Super Bowl for Kansas City. Now you're on a run. Like, is there less anxiety? How does this run feel different for you guys? Okay, I'll tell you. That's such a good question because, you know, my whole life before last year was kind of – I mean, I've been a lifelong Chiefs fan, but it was like a living, waking playoff nightmare. Okay, so <laughs> – I I've had to convince myself like I'm not in that same PTSD anymore. Like we won the Super Bowl, we're different caliber at this point. So all season I I felt different as a fan, and then that game hit on Sunday, and I was like, oh no, oh no, this is a familiar feeling. It could all it could all go wrong. Um, so I felt like I kind of checked myself last week because I was getting cocky and now I'm back to like a scared, frightened Chiefs fan. Yeah. That that's probably a better route. It's, it's easier to just expect the worst and be surprised pleasantly than the opposite, yeah. which is uh, to get all chesty about it and then uh, realize it was a one-time deal. That's kind of how I feel as a Cubs fan lately. It was like, oh, okay. So just the one year where we got to have the nice things. Okay. Just, I, I'm glad, I'm yeah. glad I know that now. Uh, Heidi Gardner from Saturday Night Live with yeah. us here on Spain and Fitz. What if it's Chad Henney? I mean, have you already gone out to buy your Henny thing as possible gear? Uh, one of my friends said she was making the t-shirt last Sunday, like right <laughs> after it happened. And so I was like, well, make two at least. I need one. Um, so, yeah, you know, during during that game, my husband and my best friend who I was watching with, who's also from Kansas City, you know, when he threw that interception, you know, they were – they were just saying the worst possible things about him. And I was like, you guys, he needs love right now. Just send him love. Like, and so if he's our quarterback, like I'm all in this week, like then let's rally around the man. That's what you got to do. If you're a fan. This is, this is what happens though. When you have a Super Bowl. I'm telling you, it changes the way you view all of this, Sarah. Uh, So, Heidi, what's the trash talking like behind the scenes at SNL? Like, are there a bunch of football fans that you get to get in the face of and remind that your team's better? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I got so lucky last year because uh, I feel like I feel like only Keenan is really the only person I talk football with. And so when and he's a Falcons fan, Oof. but he 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 loves the Chiefs. But I feel like the rest of the cast just kind of rallied behind my Chiefs love. So it was like. You know, I was getting texts from, like, Mikey, who I don't think is a huge football fan, but he was like, go Chiefs, they got this. And I was like, thank you guys so much. Like, I taught Bowen, my little brother taught Bowen about football, and he was rooting for the Chiefs. So it was, just, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, Heidi Gardner of SNL is with us. I remember seeing on your Instagram, you posted some photos of your watch party. And my guy, Alex Moffat, who's repping Chicago, was wearing a Chicago Bears sweatshirt to the party, at least, even though the Bears weren't yes. represented there by themselves uh, we at least had some representation in the form of a cast member let's talk about saturday night live this year um because when you came on my podcast we were talking about how weird it is to do shows from home and it's cool to be able to produce content but also for you it was difficult to separate life from work if work was now inside your home we know what that's like because we've been at it now for nine or ten months were you happy to get back to the studio despite i'm sure what were pretty rigorous protocols 
I was really happy. It uh, it just felt like just being around other human beings is so <laughs> necessary. Yeah. Um, although I was a little worried. I was like, have I gotten weirder? And then I was like, well, <laughs> they probably got weirder too. We've all been isolated. We're all going to be a little gun shy, even, you know, socializing. So uh, I was just, I was just grateful. It felt, it felt really good, even if we have to be six feet apart all the time. It's such a collaborative process to do a show like you guys do. How difficult was it? Like, how did you guys have to change that process when you weren't together, but you were still putting shows on? Yeah, I, well, it's weird. I definitely the writing because, um, you know, they some some of us, right, you don't want to be in the studio as much, you know, as much as you can help it. So there's been a lot of writing at home and like collaborating over Zoom. And I think at first, like, the chemistry there was just a little weird. Because, you know, on Zooms, there's always those weird, like, lulls, which are fine in real life. But then everyone (laughs) on Zoom feels like they have to make up for it. And so it was just like, it was getting off or (laughs) getting rid of all that politeness and just being like, it's okay if we don't speak for a full minute. We're just trying to think of a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, you guys have had some pretty memorable episodes despite that and some pretty big names, you know, Chris Rock kicked things off and Megan the Stallion was incredible. Tell me about the week when Jack White ends up performing because the original guest, a uh, country music performer, uh, who got caught partying mid COVID and, and had to get pulled, ended up coming back to make up for the appearance. But in that yeah. week, how crazy is that? And how sick was it that Jack White came on and just shredded? I, it was insane. I remember, yeah, because it's like Thursday, the musical guest comes in to rehearse. And and even on Thursday, I, I don't think they had a guest yet, or at least I didn't think we had one. Um, and then, yeah, when I, I think I got the schedule for Saturday, and it was like, yeah, it's going to be Jack White. And I'm like, well, I, oh, that isn't, so Jack White's going to play a concert tonight? And also, <laughs> it's, nobody's been to concerts in months. So I was like, I get to see Jack White today. Like, it's very <laughs> exciting. And then, yeah, I feel like every, I mean, he's always incredible. Everyone knows that. But, like, that was the big comment from everyone was, like, what a shred fest, like, on <laughs> SNL last night. Um, so it was very exciting. Okay, so you've got the AFC Championship game this weekend. Do you have any rituals, any habits? Like, is there a special way you're going to watch the game? Um, yes. Yeah, so it's kind of like whatever I did the previous game. So. I just try to repeat. And so last game I made like a fake Travis Kelsey, like out of like a basketball with a smiley face. And I had like a <laughs> shirt on with the number 87. As and one I does. Some, it yeah. was basically, <laughs> yeah. And then I made a Patrick Mahomes too. So I'm going to make my like Kelsey Mahomes dummies. And then, um, <laughs> I, I had Chiefs M&Ms. Uh, my friend's dog came over. He was wearing a Mahomes jersey, so that's going to have to happen again. Um, I was wearing some shoe, Chief shoes. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's going to have to be exactly what it was last week. Except I would just love for us to be ahead the whole time and it just be an easy win. That's oh, good luck I with that. That's not the Chiefs' style. Even <laughs> even in their Super Bowl year, their style is to get dangerously behind and have to come back. Uh, we're talking to Chiefs super fan and Saturday Night Live cast member Heidi Gardner. Um, yeah, are you worried at all about the Fates misreading 
your basketball turned player as some sort of voodoo doll because I'm worried about maybe you being the cause of Mahomes' injury. No, no, that uh, it's a little, it's a little crocheted Mahomes doll. Okay, so I'm the, just worried. No, it sounds like a voodoo doll. I mean, you have that <laughs> crochet does, doll. It it's is, good. I have it. it. It's very, a voodoo doll. Yeah, I mean, you're putting pins into a doll to make it, but it's uh, it sounds dangerous to me. It looks more like that, like um, the little head man from Beetlejuice, if that makes you feel any better. It doesn't at all. That guy was also cursed. I'm starting to think you're the problem, Heidi. Uh, maybe take a step no. back. I'm just saying, um, if I have a little crocheted Patrick Mahomes doll, the next time the Raiders play the Chiefs, everybody will know. It's just a cute doll. It's not a voodoo doll. Just for anybody that it's not a voodoo doll. I think we're all going to know what's happening there. And yet somehow yeah. the force will still not be strong enough for your Raiders yeah, to make the playoffs, even if the fates get involved. Uh, Heidi, enjoy the game this weekend. Hopefully we're crossing our fingers that Patrick is healthy and ready to go. Uh, if not, you know, anything is possible and you'll be wearing your shirt and ready to go. Uh, thanks for giving us some time. Yes. Thanks for having me, you guys. Go Chiefs. Love it. Uh, man, and I'm bummed because we got a while to wait before SNL is back in swing. And, um, you know, hit or miss sometimes these days, but I still love it. And uh, I'm excited for a new generation of, uh, you know, we got all the political stuff that they do. So we got a whole bunch of new stuff to be watching uh, when the season starts up again. Always great to talk to Heidi. And if you didn't hear it before, you should definitely go listen to my podcast with her. It was super fun. She got a crazy story being a hairdresser who decided to try improv. And now she's on SNL. And I'm not jealous at all. All. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Coming up, we're going to dive further into that Patrick Mahomes injury situation. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We asked you on Twitter at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. If you were elected president, who would you choose to sing the songs we heard today at the inauguration? Uh, you guys have some good answers. Keep those coming. Except for the guy who said pentatonics. You know, I don't like yucking other people's yums. I just don't get that. That is not, that is not my jam. But I promise. Oh, wait, uh, you were not, out on pentatonics? I am so out on pentatonics. Uh, here's a tease. We're going to have a discussion about that later because they're okay, definitely good. on my list. Oh, they would be. They absolutely would be barf um yeah just I've, i literally like got into a fight on the internet with uh, 12 year old pentatonics fans for a couple hours just because i was having so much fun messing with them one night anyway that's a story for another time it's time for straight talk brought to you I mean, by straight talk wireless let's talk about this patrick mahomes thing you know we talked to heidi about it and and you know i for a casual not sports reporter fan i thought she had a great answer which is of course i want him to play but i also want to do what's best for him and i think that's Obviously, the conversation around this, you can even pass protocols and not necessarily be in a position where it benefits you and your future to be out there playing. And Taylor Twellman, who uh, suffered multiple concussions in his soccer career and has really taken it upon himself to try to educate himself and educate others about concussions, was on uh, KJ and Z this morning and, and said, you know, unlike when he played or even not that long ago, athletes now know the risk and it's a lot harder for them to not be honest with teams when things are going on. This is what he said. Mahomes in 2021 can't say he lacks education. Keyshawn Johnson, Jay Williams, Taylor Twelman, we actually can raise our hand and say, you know what, we didn't really know a ton about concussions. We knew what they were, we knew something was there, but we don't know what we know now. And so my money is also on Patrick Mahomes. He's an athlete, here he is in 2021, he understands the magnitude of the game, 
but he also cannot raise his hand and say he doesn't understand the magnitude of concussions. And I'm going to have faith that Patrick Mahomes, through the, out, through the entire concussion protocol, is going to be as honest as possible with the Chiefs. Guys, that's the only thing I can believe in. Because education is power. That's the one thing I wanted to change in 2008 when my career was completely taken away from me and there was no World Cups anymore. There was no going to Europe, whatever that may be. You've just got to be transparent. You've got to be honest. Athletes in 2021, they can't say they lack education. It's a, it's a thoughtful take. And, and the question is, do we think that Patrick Mahomes, maybe because they won last year, has a bit more care in terms of his future and, and the ability to, to win games down the line than he does uh, desire to be out there? Because I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the human nature for Patrick Mahomes is to want to be out there. That's what so many athletes want, which is where the concussion protocol is really designed to help athletes from themselves because so many times they'll put themselves back on the field if they get an opportunity. This is going to test so much of that, Sarah. It's going to test so much because you're talking about the biggest star in the NFL at this point. The most important player to the league right now, I would argue, is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's everything to the Chiefs, but he's also everything to the way that they brand the the league and to the superstar that they want playing in the Super Bowl if they can get it. So, you know, the the concept that the concussion protocol uh, will be tested now by such a huge star, and even when he gets out of that protocol or if he's out of that protocol – that he may still stand back and say, well, i got to figure out what's right and how my head feels. I mean, that's sort of a worst-case scenario for the NFL in many ways short-term. But long-term, it's a far greater terrible scenario for them if there's lingering issues as a result of Patrick Mahomes rushing himself in or the concussion protocol not catching everything it needs to. Yeah, and the complication added to this is that normally in situations where a player's in concussion protocol, we're sort of certain on exactly what happened. And the issue with Mahomes is not really understanding. Was this a concussion that just didn't visually look like as bad of a hit as normal? Was this relating to his neck? Was this another kind of injury? Because there were plenty of actual doctors on Twitter saying, I'm a doctor, I'm not treating him, but this to me looks like X or Y, a very peculiar neck injury that results in that kind of wooziness, but isn't an actual concussion. But because of the way he reacted, he enters protocol and you cannot be removed from that until you pass everything, even if technically it wasn't a concussion. Right. So all of that messes up our idea of exactly what we're dealing with here. Um, and then and then, you know, obviously, to the point we just discussed, so does the idea that he could pass everything and be cleared. But would he technically be doing himself justice by being out there? Um then you've got the Chiefs sort of flip-flopping. He was listed as a full participant, but is still in the concussion protocol. So they later updated and say he was limited, but they had already told us he took all the snaps. <laughs> I mean, it was a walkthrough, so it wasn't anything too serious, but they essentially treated him like someone who was fully ready to go, even though technically he's not allowed to be. Well, and I think one of the more difficult parts of this is the concussion protocol. You know, step five of the, the last step of the concussion protocol is that you need to see that somebody can handle actual, you know, taking an actual hit, what they would handle in a game, which we'll have no way of knowing. I mean, if the concussion protocol had to be followed by the letter of the law and the way it's written, then there'd be no way that, you know, not just Patrick Mahomes right now, but any quarterback would ever be allowed back in a game because how do right. you how do you go through that scenario? So in the very writing of the protocol, it's absolutely flawed and flawed in a way that's going to make it hard for anyone to believe or buy into whatever we're told moving forward. Yeah, actually, uh, Taylor Twelman talked about that today as well on the protocol returns.
quite honestly, it's information and science and data that says, you know what, wait, wait a minute. So maybe this is a nine, 10 day recovery and it's not a five to six day recovery, Jay. Uh, that's what it is. That's transparency, which the NFL is still trying to fight through their old ways and be transparent with this injury. And they're trying to evolve. And at times we see that, like we just went over last weekend. And at times we still see the barbaric nature of the sport where you're trying to rip each other's head off. And that's the nature of the sport. So I don't know that answer, Jay. I do know, though, when you talk to neurologists around the world that are not affiliated with football, very few, if any, say, oh, yeah, no, five, six days is enough. And that's the thing. Like, we have such different rules because the way sports works is if you miss it, that's it. You can't come into work the next week and make up what you missed, right? It's such a different <laughs> set of, of kind of conditions. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's really tough, and it's going to be a really tough balance because um, you can't tell a team you just won last year and he's got a long future ahead of him because we never know. You never know in sports with injuries or otherwise. Um, so you're, you're going to have to be honest with yourself as Patrick Mahomes for your own safety. Um, but that's tough to do when you're in the moment and you want to be out there for your team. Yeah, especially when you've now signed a huge mega contract and there's all of these expectations that your team can repeat as Super Bowl champions. I don't think the decision gets any easier for Patrick Mahomes and the look is difficult for the league. Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep you updated as we continue to get information. This is Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, speaking of Chiefs-Bills, we're going to get into that game and the growth of this Bills team. We're going to talk to someone who knows a whole lot about them and is crossing his fingers, I presume, for a better result uh, than previous years. It's coming up. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline Sarah, big, big, big weekend, obviously. We were just talking about Patrick Mahomes, and uh, there's going to be some decisions that have to be made with safety in mind for what's best for today and for the future uh, for him. And, you know, my my hope is that he plays because he feels great and everything is all healed and everything's wonderful, and he comes out and gives his everything in this because I want to see this Chiefs team take on this Bills team that has been built so uh, so intentionally and with so much thought to how they can maximize Josh Allen and is now doing exactly that. I think the Bills are one of the great stories of build patiently. Don't listen to any noise outside your building and do exactly what you think is right. And with the right people in place, it can work. I think most people want to see that too. They want to see the best against the best. I'll tell you the people who don't want to see that. The Bills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bills Bill Mafia is like, no, we're, we're good, we're good. And Green Bay. None of the remaining teams have any interest in needing to say, in order to be the man, you got to beat the man. They're like, we're cool if the man can't make it. Uh, Because this Chiefs team, and Patrick Mahomes in particular, stands as the wall for the rest of the NFL that you got to go through this to win. And it is very difficult to repeat in the NFL. That Tom Brady-led Packers team was dynastic and, and, and unbelievable more so than any other sport in the ways that they were able to consistency, consistently contend and put up those Super Bowl wins. Uh, we have yet to see if this Chiefs team can, can be similar, right, or if, or if they fall prey to the usual things uh, that happen to NFL teams uh, over the course of years. But if he's not around, 
Nobody that's remaining in this playoffs will have any problem with that other than to feel sad that he's not able to compete for him as a person and, and be empathetic for him as a fellow player. They want to go through whatever's in front of them and will allow them to win the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, I mean, let's not get it twisted. Realistically, I want Patrick Mahomes to be 100% other than the two times a year that he could take off for <laughs> personal reasons that he, they play the Raiders. Uh, but with this Bills team, do you have any concern about the fact that, I mean, let's they came into the playoffs very hot, but they survived the Colts game in week one in what was sort of a, a closer game than I think some of us thought they were going to get. And then against the Ravens, you know, they really manhandled the Ravens' offense. But this dynamic Bills offense only put up 17. I know that's a big only, but still, you know, we've had so much expect- expectation for their offense. They put up 17 against the Ravens. Like, uh, you know, they've got to do better than that, obviously, against the Chiefs if they want to have a shot to win that game. Yeah, I mean, this you got to come with not only your best stuff, but you have to figure out a way to prevent the Chiefs from taking advantage of their weapons. If they decide um, to throw... You know, Tyreek on one side and Kelsey on the other. What do you do? Right. If if they bring out their best stuff and a lot of that, I believe we haven't seen yet. Right. I think and we talked about this in the regular season. Bored is a word you can use. I don't know if I want to call them bored, but limited in the games that they did not need to be explosive and creative. They weren't. And in the games where they had to pull out a couple tricks, they did. And they beat those better teams by doing that. Um you know, what we saw at the end of the game proved to us that a lot of the success of this team doesn't just lay in the, in the hands and feet and arm of Patrick Mahomes, but in the brain of Andy Reid. The fact that Chad Henney went in there and they had everyone, including Tony Romo, who knows everything before it happens, fooled on that last play. The onions on Reed and the ability to take uh, and believe in a guy who's 35 and has been through the league and, and never been good enough to, to you know, be the guy. Uh, says something. And so I think there's a lot up his sleeve um, that the Bills will have to contend with, even if they shut down the things they have seen on tape. Well, and that's one of the things that I I feel like I just keep yelling uh, at the top of my lungs. It's not just about beating Mahomes. It's about outcoaching Andy Reid. And Mm -hmm. for whatever the limitations may have been, at least in perception of Andy Reid with Philadelphia, that you know he couldn't get over the hump and couldn't quite get it done, whatever that was. This is a different version of Andy Reid. This isn't Andy Reid that's coaching with the the reckless abandon that comes with having so much it factor that you no longer care what anybody thinks, what anybody says. You are in such a groove with the players, with the organization, that you have the confidence to really do what you want, when you want, how you want it. Not a lot of people have that situation around them. And there just seems to be a different air of confidence. And yes, that comes when you have Patrick Mahomes. But let's also not get it twisted. Like some of these players, we've sort of turned it into this narrative of, hey, just get a bunch of fast guys and a quarterback that can fling it to them. It's still Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, frankly, that have found ways to scheme guys open. They scheme better than most coaches do. And I thought it was even interesting. You mentioned Tony Romo. The number of times Romo would tell you beforehand, yep, they've moved this guy in motion over here, and that's going to give us the same route that we've seen four other times. But each time it looked different, and each time it worked. I mean, there's just an element of Andy Reid is playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. It's Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We got some good digital-only stuff every once in a while you can only get if you subscribe. And, of course, stuff that you missed. Uh, yeah, to your point, there 
it's it's a team you can't make mistakes against because they're probably not going to make many. And even if they do, the way that they can put up points in a short amount of time. We talked to Heidi Gardner about this, right? Like, you're not going to probably get a huge lead as the Chiefs. That's not their style. You're going to fall behind, and then you're going to come back quick. And so if you get a, get a lead on them, you can't slow down. You can't let up because they can very easily, in a couple plays, make up for it and get right back in the game. And I think Josh Allen needs to be better. He was great all season long. But, you know, the offense wasn't as spectacular as we thought it would be in their first two postseason games, as you mentioned. And in the game against the Chiefs this season, he only had 122 yards in the air, an interception, and no touchdowns. That was back in week six, and we saw him continue to mature throughout the season. But everybody needs to be hitting on all cylinders. And, you know, uh, there's 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 very few weaknesses for the Chiefs. It's basically like, can you... Can you get them to kick and see if Harrison Butker's off? <laughs> can, can, can you um, can you see if maybe Mahomes' turf toe is a bigger deal than you thought? Maybe the mobility isn't there, and can you try to force him into, um, you know, having to having to move and, and protect himself against against a defensive line, uh, and and not be a hundred percent there? Like right, the, it, I don't envy the job of trying to figure out where the holes are. Well, and you mentioned the turf toe. We forget about the turf toe in general, as you you know you think about. Uh, looking at whatever else may be going on with Mahomes. But even before he took that hit, the number of times he was gingerly coming up after he'd throw a pass. But then he'd do the same thing on the next play. He'd he'd run around and then deliver a better pass than most could while he's uh, essentially on one foot. Like, it's not fair. At some point, I I realize that maybe my brain is just too jaded with the remembrance of what happened last year. Like, he messes up his kneecap. He misses what feels like six seconds, has a cup of tea, and comes back and continues to win games. There's a level of Mahomes performs through everything that I think gives you, if you're the Chiefs and if you're a Chiefs fan, you've got this constant belief right now that you'll be able to put points up on anybody. This is still, though, a very good Bills defense. So I think the Bills defense can give them some trouble. The question is all going to come down to, to your point, not only Josh Allen, but what what happens with Stephon Dix, because he has been a delight in this offense. But if they're going to win this game, uh, I know the Chiefs are going to come in and say, hey, we'll take away the one thing we know can beat us the bet most, and that's Stephon Diggs. So can somebody else step up? and be sort of the, the the guy for Josh Allen in that game. It's going to be interesting to watch and also a fun reminder that those two quarterbacks are very young. These teams yeah. look like they're built to compete for a while. Like the AFC right now, man, if you're if, if you're a fan of the AFC, you're looking at a lot of young, good quarterbacks. It'll be fun What about the NFC, Fitz? Are they young? <laughs> Well, I mean, younger than me, so that how, how can I call them? I mean, Brady and I are close, but I don't know how I can call them old. No, I mean, you got two different ways going here. You got, yep. you know, you got the, the last uh, ride for a couple guys versus the next, you know, you know, young guard of great QBs. You've got, you know, the the side on one end that's coming in for the dinner special at five o'clock, and the other one that's hitting <laughs> dinner at five a.m. All right, Spain and Fizz brought to you by Goodyear, hoping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Come up there, so much to get to. We're going to get you the best way we can around a lot of different stories. Quickies coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, you know what we should do today? There's so much to get to. You know what we should do to have some fun? I have an idea. Well, I say... Uh, why don't we have some fun with some quickies? Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to get you caught up on some of the biggest stories you need to know, and we're going to start with a crazy story out of the NBA. This is really one of those mind-blowing moments where sometimes 
in life, you never know what opportunity to, to really, like, where things are going to come to you, right? Uh, so we all know that Chris LeVert was part of the big mega trade last week uh, uh, that sent him as part of the deal that sent Harden to the Brooklyn Nets. So he went and underwent a physical before joining Indiana, and in that physical, they found a small mass on his left kidney. So uh, he's out indefinitely undergoing further tests. And Sarah, this is staggering for somebody that was healthy and was playing, and we had no idea there were any issues. And thank God he was traded because it may have actually saved him tremendously in health issues. Yeah, we'll hear from him. I think we have sound from Karis LeVert. And, you know, he kind of hints to that. He doesn't flat out say, saved my life, but it felt like he was about to get there. And Fitz, like, you hear about these things happening, um, and and you have to you have to you know be so grateful and thankful. I'm, I'm I'm still unsure exactly how the trade went through because I know that all those physicals have to clear for all the different pieces to work, and obviously they are because we've seen you know James Harden out there with his new team. Um, so it must have been something that the team felt comfortable with. Um, moving forward, while they still wait to find out the details of it, but um, we have the Levert sound here. I didn't have any symptoms. Obviously, as you all know, I was playing in games. I hadn't missed any games this season yet. I was feeling 100% healthy. So, in a way, this this trade definitely, you know, showed and revealed, you know, what was going on in my body. So, I'm definitely looking at it, you know, from that side and definitely humbled to know that this trade could have possibly, you know, saved me. And Fitz, this is uh, especially meaningful because a lot of health issues in his family. His, his mom has multiple sclerosis. His father passed away when he was just 15 uh, when his father was 46 because of heart failure. Um, so this is a family that has had, and, and something like heart failure sort of feels like a hidden um, killer, right? Um, so to have this thing in him that he'll now find out the severity of, um, it's just wild to find out through a, a sort of routine because of a trade. Well, and, and got to be mind-blowing. I can't imagine dealing with mentally what it's like to know that you just got traded, now everything moves, and, and I, I think we under sort of, value at times how difficult that can be for athletes that are now figuring out where they're going to live and how they're going to live and what they're going to do in the middle of all of that and then you get a physical that you think is routine only to find out that you may have a serious health condition like I can't I can't imagine grappling with all of that mentally right now so for Levert you know it's it's this is a stunning moment and a stunning moment of clarity for a lot of people on what really matters so at least it got caught in the process and never would have imagined that a physical would reveal that next up on quickies a little bit of baseball news you ready for this Sarah we got the biggest free agency news of the offseason Tuesday night George Springer agrees to a six-year, $150 million contract mm. with the Toronto Blue Jays. That's a lot of money. That's a long time. And Jeff Passon says it is significant. This is what he had to say. This is the offseason when the Blue Jays want to make the leap from a contending team in the AL East to a contending team for the World Series. And adding George Springer in center field, it was the perfect marriage. He brings power. He brings speed, he brings playoff experience, and he rounds out a lineup that already with Bo Bichette, Lourdes Gurriel, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, Teoscar Hernandez, and others, is one of the best, if not the best, in the American League. This is a massive acquisition. Um, A guy who I believe is already fourth all-time in postseason home runs. Um, he's, He's spectacularly athletic. He's... Before all the mess went down with the Astros, I found him incredibly easy to root for. He's a little bit tougher now, um, but he's got star power and charisma. 
Um, he will be with them from the age 31 to age 36 seasons. This is a perfect stretch of time. It's a lot of money, of course, but a lot of times in baseball, you see they have to take those years at the end where you know they're not going to be the same. And I think he's a guy that well through that age 36 and potentially beyond could still be adding a lot to your roster. Can we also acknowledge, you're right, and tougher to root for some of the players around the Astros for sure, but also what a kick in the no-no places to the city of Houston as a sports team. I mean, right. it's just I know he made it clear he wasn't coming back, but still, you look around at some point. If you're <laughs> right. a Houston sports fan, you're like, nah, I'm good. I'll see you guys in 2026. I just, Listen, you know, I'm, I'm gonna not wait. gonna say the word karma. Oh, I just said oh. it. I just said the word karma. I don't know. Maybe do you deserve this? Oh, oh do you, wow. Do you deserve this for being cheating cheaters who cheated? I don't oh, know. Man. I don't know. Oh, wow. It's not for this me is... to decide. Not wow. for me to decide. It is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM channel. Lady, we're going through some quickies, some of the big notes that you need to know. One other interesting one that came out of the NFL, Sarah, and it came in the form of the Lions, who have announced that Dan Campbell, their new head coach, has been signed to a six-year deal. Now, uh, I know that this can cause a lot of eyebrow raising. Anytime we see six-year deals, it wasn't that long ago we did the same thing as our everybody looked around and said, wait, the 49ers are giving not only their new coach but also a GM that's never been a GM each six-year deals in the way that they construct it. But I use that as a little bit of inspiration. I kind of like, actually, no, I love a six-year deal because it mm. at least gives a coach the mm. opportunity to know that they're going to have time to build this thing out. They're going to have time to do it the right way, and they're going to get the one thing that will keep them from coaching you know, differently. They're going to be able to come and say, we don't have to worry about right now. We can build for the long term while we figure out how to build a foundation here. So I actually like six years as higher. Let's ship you off to Detroit because the Lions fans are going to love the positive spin you put on the fact that this team is such a mess that in order to get someone to come and to feel like they have an opportunity to dig them out of a hole as deep as they have, they had to promise that length of time. I don't think it necessarily even means that he has that much security. I think what we'll end up finding out is that the Lions are going to yet again owe a coach who's no longer employed by them for a significant number of years. I don't know if Dan Campbell's going to work out, but I don't think that a team like the Lions has any reason to be confident that they made the right choice or that what's going to happen in the next couple years is going to be positive. I hate to say that. I feel bad for Lions fans. The dysfunction is real. But they have not proved to me that they can figure out how to get the right talent at the coaching position and then how to make that coach get the right talent out of the guys they've got. And six years, to me does not say good news, he's going to have time to figure this out. It says bad news, you're going to be paying him for the last two or three years while you're also paying someone else. Well, and that's a, that is a fair point, and I'll be honest. Like I went through this revolving door year after year after year uh, as, as a Raiders fan where the coaching was changing every two years, and people kept saying, you got to get somebody and keep somebody to let it happen. And well, you I sure always, did. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> My response was always like, well, I don't want to keep this bum. This guy can't coach, right? Like, right. So you're right. And I think what I've seen over the last couple of years, not just with Gruden, although that is an example, like there's good and bad to the way that Gruden has run a franchise knowing he has 10 years and they're not going to buy him out, right? There's good and bad for the way that, that that feels in the moment. But at least it feels like maybe the revolving door can change. Now, why it will be any different for Campbell than it was for Patricia? I mean, a lot of people wanted to make Matt Patricia when he was hired just mm. because he worked for the Patriots feel like they had gotten a second coming as a coach. So you're right. If they got the wrong guy, then things just got really ugly. But if they got the right guy, they get a little bit of uh, continuity. 
Yeah, that's the positive spin that all of Detroit is hoping for. He's a very different guy from Matt Patricia. Energetic, a great leader, a motivator, no slouch, uh, to use a very specific word. Uh, but, but you know, maybe maybe that's not enough when you need to figure out how to strategize and use X's and O's and get the most out of, out of the talent that you got. Uh, so it, it we'll see. Is is not the thing you're supposed to say in this business, but it's the only thing we could say about this particular marriage so far because it hasn't even started yet. You are totally right, but I got to believe that when there's a huge change at the top, maybe it's a day to believe. That's all I'm saying. All right, Coda, <laughs> where do the Colts go to fill their quarterback hole? We'll discuss it next on ESPN Radio, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Remember back in the day, you could find three fantastic, smart, brilliant, wonderful, top-of-their-game women every Saturday on ESPN Radio. It was called the Trifecta. Well, guess what? There's a new Trifecta in town, and one-third of it is joining us now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Joining us now, one of the co-hosts of First Take, Her Take podcast, Charlie Arnold. Charlie, thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so excited about the podcast, too. It was much needed. Like you said, we needed three incredible women. Yes, I'm referring to myself as one of those women (laughs) to really give it to everybody, give our takes, talk a little sports, talk a little pop culture and, you know, share a little insight into our own lives. Well, I know you're you're newer to ESPN and you're younger, so you might not remember the OG trifecta. It was Spain. It was McManus. It was Fagan. Tell us who the new iteration is. Who's the new trifecta? Okay, well, it it is myself. We also have Kimberly Martin, as you know, one of the most talented up-and-coming NFL reporters at ESPN. Also, WNBA star Chineo Gumake, also NBA analyst for ESPN. So we have a really well-rounded team, and we just recorded our first episode last night. It was released this morning, our inaugural episode, if you will, um, falling very well-timed on Inauguration Day, which, of course, saw our first female vice president, Kamala Harris. So uh, really great timing. And also, we just had so much fun. I mean, the personalities on the show are great. Uh, I think that everyone has their own little flavor that they bring to the table. And we just had a blast. And so far, I've been getting nothing but really wonderful feedback from people, especially people saying, like you just mentioned, Sarah, that it was about time that there was a all-female-driven podcast on ESPN. So, Charlie, uh, some ESPN people are still meeting you for the first time, uh, obviously. Yeah. You've worked a lot with Snapchat, and, uh, and now you're in this space. You've also been around WWE for a long time. So for people that are still trying to get to know you, what would you tell people that is sort of key to knowing what your personality is like on these things? Yeah, so um, as you said, like kind of newer to ESPN, you know, as compared to a lot of personalities, around but um i am on first take uh generally at least once a week um it's been that way since the summer so super excited to be there filling obviously huge shoes of molly's when i'm in that chair um but it's great working with Stephen a and max i was actually joking around on the podcast last night that i think i'm going to be a really good mother one day because (laughs) you know when you're able to control personalities like theirs you know it's it's just setting you up for success down the line so Um, That's been awesome. But yeah, WWE is something I've been doing for almost five years now, which is crazy to think about. Um, I'm an interviewer on Monday Night Raw, which is our weekly show on the USA Network. And then I also host our kickoff shows for our pay-per-view events, also host a post show every Monday on the WWE Network called Raw Talk. 
And there, actually, it's funny because I don't go by Charlie Arnold. I go by Charlie Caruso. So I have a little bit of an alter ego with WWE, and um, that's fine. I remember when I first started years ago, I was like, did you get married? What's going on? I'm like, no, guys. <laughs> Not married. <laughs> so you haven't missed out on anything yet. So, um, yeah, I, I love being able to do both. Um, I've always been into sports. I've always, I grew up an athlete, always was playing different sports, um, primarily, you know, getting into the later years of my life. I was uh, mostly just playing volleyball and softball. Um, so I've always had a great appreciation for sports. Um, also for athletes, I grew up in Indianapolis, so I'm definitely a Colts fan, Pacers fan, and um, even, you know, got to attend a few IndyCar races in my day. So I've seen it all. I love it. <laughs> You've seen it all, and you have a handy uh, alter ego to commit the crimes yes. and stuff that won't show up in your uh, search engine for yeah, the for the ESPN exactly. It's Charlie Arnold. She's the host of First Take, Her Take podcast. Also fills in on First Take where she, as she appropriately said, mothers or, or babysits uh, Max and, and baby Stephen A. Uh, you're getting that work with the baby, yeah, baby Stephen A. Stephen A is the best. Um, so one of the things that uh, Fitz hates on this show is when anyone comes on and talks to me about The Bachelor because he doesn't watch it and I'm a diehard. So, of course, oh we gosh. have some new... News yes. to address, Charlie. Claire and Dale are over already. And listen, I'm not surprised by this because it didn't make any sense that you would meet someone who they claim they weren't already talking before the show, but I don't buy that at all. But even if they were talking before the show, they still only spent such a short amount of time actually together. There was the age difference. There was when are you having kids. There was not living in the same place. There was everything else that you don't have figured out when you propose to someone after like a week and a half. So I'm not surprised that it's over, but I do kind of feel bad because she threw away her shot she was just like hey this guy's tall and hot so i'm gonna skip the whole part where i actually find someone that i want to marry and i'm gonna end up with. no i know I, i'm so with you because i feel like that you know the same thing like she had an opportunity look even if you kind of know at the beginning you know hey i'm really into this guy because i know i've actually talked to a few bachelor and bachelorette contestants in the past and they've revealed some secrets to me from behind the scenes um i'm just gonna i won't say any names because i don't want to blow up their spot but one guy who ended up winning the bachelorette told me that from the beginning of the show, the girl was sneaking into his bedroom and sleeping with him on a nightly basis. <laughs> so um, it's definitely not as yeah. it seems on the show. And she did. She knew the entire time, but she still went through the process because look, I feel like even just from a professional standpoint, you see so many of these bachelor and bachelorette contestants walking away with such amazing career opportunities and to just squander that, even if, you know, even if you already have found the love of your life, like go through the process. Right. It's such a cool experience. Not to mention though, but, how many of us have had that thing where we're like, first of all, it's mostly oh, just lust at that point. Oh, yeah. You don't know anything oh, yeah. about them. So like, even if you think, you know, you might as well wait it out and see if there's some massive red flags that just didn't come out right off the bat. Well, well, and listen, so I know Dale, he lives in New York city and I actually have, he used to go to my gym. So I've, I've known Dale for a couple of years. I'm not like BFFs with him or anything, but you know, so I, I kind of feel bad talking about him, but I'm still going to do it anyways, because I'm talking about <laughs> Dale, the bachelor contestant, not Dale, the guy that I know from New York. Um, but I just, I was a little blown away because they were posting like these lovey dovey photos on Instagram up until like a week ago. And look, yeah. I know that Instagram is all like one big facade for a lot of people, but I'm still like, wow, you really are going to like have us fooled like that. You know what I mean? They were like, hit my first haircut. Here we are celebrating the new year. And next thing you know, they're like, oh no, we're not together anymore. And I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on. There was no transition there. What's happening? 
Look, in, until we switch this all up and have a full conversation on Below Deck, I'll continue to be lost. Listen. We're talking to Charlie on <laughs> host of First Take, First Take, Her Take podcast. Charlie, uh, you mentioned earlier you're a Colts fan. So who? Uh, what are your thoughts on the quarterback position now that Phillip Rivers is retiring? Okay, so let me just say nothing but respect for Phillip Rivers. I do believe he will go into the Hall of Fame. However, just from a fan perspective of the Colts, I was happy that he retired because part of me was like, are the Colts going to bring him back next year? Because I didn't think that he was the right fit for the team in the first place. I think that he fulfilled his responsibilities for this year and led the team in a really strong direction. But I didn't think he was the long-term quarterback for that team. And obviously, given his age, I don't think he's the long-term prospect for any team. Um, But, okay, I know this is lofty, but I'm just going to say it because it's an option at this point. But I would love, I mean, unless they, like, want to pick up a quarterback in the draft, maybe, I don't know, maybe Mac Jones, but I feel like he, he could be a, he could be a very viable prospect for them. But And I know that a lot of times you're not going to get a trade within the same division. But look, if Deshaun Watson wants to come to Indianapolis and be able to play the Texans a couple times a year and really just shove it in their faces, the opportunity, opportunity that they squandered with him, I'm all for it. I'm so sorry, Charlie. That's not going to happen. Uh, he's going to go to the Bears. He's playing in Vegas next year. He's going to the Raiders. I think we've all decided he's going to the Bears. It's an NFC team. Uh, they're going to throw their entire franchise at him. Uh, so I hate to break it to you, but that's that's not going to happen. Um, Charlie, this was fun. We look forward to hearing you on First Take. Her Take, and of course, seeing you on First Take when you fill in. Thanks for the time, and good luck with the podcast. Thanks, Charlie. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Charlie Arnold, you can find that podcast, uh, iTunes, ESPN app, podcast app, First Take, Her Take with uh, Shanae and Kimberly as well. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, we asked if you were elected president, who would be singing the songs we heard at today's inauguration? We'll get to your answers next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. And radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Call or click today. Find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can find it on Apple, iTunes, the podcast app, ESPN app. Sometimes we do cool pre-show and after-show parties uh, with content you can only get here. For instance, there was one about uh, this Saturday's salt and pepper Zoom watch party for the Lifetime movie coming out. Can't get content like that anywhere but the podcast, uh, uh, you know, so uh, make sure you subscribe and you can also catch up on anything you miss, miss from our regular shows. Uh, we asked you earlier in this show, uh, if you were elected president and you were inaugurated, who would sing the songs that we heard today uh, at the Capitol? Of course, we heard Lady Gaga crush the national anthem. Amazing Grace performed by Garth Brooks and J-Lo doing This Land is Your Land. We got lots of suggestions, Fitz. A lot of people have similar ideas to to, to kind of my vibe, and a lot of people went way different. Uh, at Who is Willow had the Marine Corps Band doing the national anthem, Janelle Monet doing Amazing Grace, and Jason Isbell in the 400 unit doing This Land is Your Land. We got a lot of Jason Isbells. Um not then, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got uh, at Travis Bottles, wanted Darius Rucker for the national anthem, Jason Fitz doing Amazing Grace, mm. and Selena Gomez doing This Is Our Land. Would you sing? Would you do the fiddle? Would you do both? I'd do both. I'd do both. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, if I'm do- if I'm playing in an inauguration, I'm doing both. I might even try and tap dance while I'm doing it. I can't dance. Like, I mean, I know that takes. you like singing, but you would be comfortable singing at the inauguration. Yeah, 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 for sure. 
Wow. I don't mean comfortable, like not nervous, but like what I said about J-Lo. Like, I feel like the people, their voice should be the kind where you like can't believe that they they sing like that. And I feel like you're you're a, 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 a supporting I'm a, I'm okay, singer with a, I'm an okay, with a fiddle. Yeah. No, I'm you're okay, a good singer, great. but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. J-Lo is a massive superstar. I don't think she's a good enough singer for that moment. Yeah, right? Well, so, like, I'm not saying that I would put myself up there, but if somebody did put my put me up there, I'd be you'd do it. Do it. Yeah, and you'd yeah, crush yeah, it. I love there'd that. Be no, there'd be no comp- no no hesitation. I'd be good. At J N Nunley, uh, Alicia Keys on the national anthem, Leon mm. Bridges for Amazing Grace, and Chris Stapleton for This Land Is Your Land. Love all of those. That's I a love- that's a power flex of awesome yeah. and talent all at once. Yeah, uh, that that's yeah. really well done. Um, at M Trudeau seven. Lady Gaga National Anthem crushed it. Justin Timberlake, Amazing Grace, and Foo Fighters, This Land is Your Land. I like the kind of different vibes, but too white. Um, I think part of this is, especially in America, making sure that you have representation and inclusivity, which is what we saw. We saw a Latina singer. We saw uh, an African-American performer. We saw, you know, I think you need to have a little bit of a a mix, you know, Um, which is why, for me, uh, after thinking about it, like I said, Eddie Vedder on This Land is Your Land. Uh, I just like the stripped down acoustic vibes of that. I thought about Brandy Carlisle for Amazing Grace. I just mm. think she would crush that. But I'm going to go instead Stevie Wonder. And then I'm going to go John Legend on the national anthem. Uh, but I would also take Whitney Houston hologram. I mean, Whitney Houston hologram, if that's an option for the national anthem, is always the right answer. Because nobody always. nobody does it better. Uh, so we're we're actually similar in, on one, but very dissimilar in the others. Uh, this Land is Your Land, to me, is just not the greatest song. Like, it, it always makes me think of, like, elementary kids poorly mm-hmm. singing it. So that's why I went pentatonics there. Like, I want oh. something that's going to make <laughs> it interesting. Oh. And their oh. harmonies are great. They're, you know, I'm all oh, like, God. They uh. could also, they could squeeze Amazing Grace in the middle of it there. Amazing Grace Ew. came out at Christmas time. No. was so good. Oh, uh-uh. God, yeah. Oh, so God. Good. You're going to have them double up? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have I'm, them ruin two songs? Like, I'm listen, I'm down for it if I'm watching... You know, pitch perfect. I do not, of all the beautiful and amazing voices that can cut through the lyrics in a song that we've heard a million times and make them sound different, pentatonics is not the one. That's what you hear when you get into an elevator. No, see, to me, the the one thing that gets really weird on this was is when people try and stylize these things. Like, as somebody that has... You know, in vocal groups, sang the national anthem a bunch, and I played the national anthem on fiddle a bunch. Like to me, part of the national anthem is like it's the song; it's not the person delivering it. So you know, more. But did you think that about Lady Gaga's version today? Because she stylized it with. I'm sorry, Lady Gaga. Did you think that um, today? Because I thought she did a perfect balance of truly honoring the song but making it her own. Well, and I thought that was impressive because at the Super Bowl, I thought she was great today. At the Super Bowl, she was much more in line with, "Hey, I'm just going to do the song right," and so. Uh, I really, which I really liked. So I think there is a fine line to walk, and some of the divas that sing it get so just yeah. overblown well, like on it that Fergie. I just can't. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> yeah, can't. or like the note becomes eighteen notes, and you're like, I don't remember the melody anymore. Are you still singing the national anthem, or did I, we move into a new song? And to that end, like I could see Chris Stapleton as this land is your land, and it would still sound sound kind of cool. I just went like this is a cheesy song, so make it interesting vocally. So Oof. I went pentatonic. So okay, well, for it, you um, could be worse. You could be Steve Arduini who said Chumbawamba, and I happen to know this person, and that is, I believe, like his favorite band, and not ironically. Oh, uh, and then Baja Men. <laughs> For Amazing Grace, and then one of his friends, one of his personal friends for uh, for This Land is Your Land. So uh, somebody also said Barney the Dinosaur for one of them. So people got a little weird. Okay, um, weird. This uh, guy just decided that it didn't matter if they were alive or dead, which I didn't specify and should have, because he went with Prince, Selena, and Whitney, which, good choices, 
Uh, but unfortunately, I was going with people who you could actually have because they're alive. Other than the hologram I mentioned. Yeah, other well, again, it's only the Whitney Houston hologram. That's the only That's one. it. Uh, That's where we draw the line. I thought you had the right choice with John Legend, but for me, I went with a different song for John Legend. I went with America the Beautiful for John okay. Legend. And okay, uh, just yeah. because I want to see him. Ray not Charles, one of the options, but I appreciate yeah, that. Uh, you know, uh, oh, sorry, not for uh, wait, wait, <laughs> Amazing Grace? It? For Amazing Grace, yeah. Okay, sorry, yeah. America the Beautiful is on the mind. Uh, because of the Ray Charles America the Beautiful, yeah. it made me think. Uh, if I could apply John Legend to Amazing Grace, that would be yeah. Uh, I a I had band. him and Stevie as sort of uh, interchangeable, depending on who felt like crushing either song on that day. I think the anthem is the toughest one for me, and mm-hmm. only because Lady Gaga has done sp- such a spectacular <laughs> job. I would actually put her off to the side and say, yeah, "We've already seen that." Uh, so now I'm looking at like the divas that I think could sing it incredibly well, and in such a way that I won't sit there and roll my eyes at all the. Uh, little you know licks and frills and all those things uh, frills and all those things. So I went Jennifer Hudson for the yeah. anthem. Yeah. So like, I almost put that, but I think we've seen it so much. Like yeah. Jennifer Hudson has been called upon for everything from the NFL draft to the you know memorial um, services uh, that we saw, and I'm blanking right now on the name, which is which is terrible. Um, uh, but you know, I, I think she's just done it so many times. John Lewis is who I'm thinking of that they had a, a special on ABC, oh, yeah, I yeah. think it was. Yeah. And she sang from the London House here in Chicago. It was beautiful. I think we've just seen her do those weighty moments so many times that I would want to switch it up for my own, but she's incredibly talented. Well, and I, also on my list would have been uh, Demi Lovato because she is, yeah, I think, love her. of all the singers I've ever been in the room with in my life, I've never heard anybody sing as incredibly perfectly as Demi Lovato did. And, Pink and- is one who people say in person and in real life is an unbelievable performer. I don't know that I'd pick her for that song because I'm not sure about the range. I'd have to hear her version of it. Uh, but she's one that I think could could you know have the gravitas. And then Lizzo is an interesting one because a lot of people associate Lizzo with you know the pop and and the sort of like hip hop stuff. But she has an unbelievable voice and she can absolutely sing classical stuff and crush it. So I think she would be a cool one too. What about Bruno Mars? Like, we left Bruno Mars out. Like, he's an amazing singer. He yeah. can come in and do any of these. And, it, like, Bruno Mars could sing This Land is Your Land, and I would be like, you know what? That just sounded awesome. Yeah. Agreed. You know, somebody had Florence Welch, Brittany Howard, and Springsteen, which is a great trio. Like, Brittany Howard has such a quality to her voice, a character that's so different and unique. And same with Florence Welch. Like, all of them would sound different. And then Springsteen doing This Land is Your Land just feels like inaugural, <laughs> it feels yeah, like, right. you know, like, and that's why I said for Eddie Vedder, like you could have someone with an amazing voice sing that song. Um, and Eddie does, but you also need that sort of gritty earthy. And then it takes it from being cheesy and elementary to instead having, I think a uh, sort of blue collar vibe to it. Um, and that's why that to me, you know, someone said Miley Cyrus, she could probably do a cool spin on this land is your land too. She's, you know, as much as we hear about her in, you know, Us Weekly and whatever, she's incredibly talented. No, oh, I mean, insane range, very cool voice and does a great job. Like, I, I think her if covers anything, are super yeah, that's interesting. A, right. Her covers are interesting and they obviously, you know where she's going, but she also makes them her own. So I, I, nothing but love for her vocal talent. Absolutely. Ariana Grande's talented, but I would worry about the flourishes. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? Like, she never misses a note. You know who we left off this list is Kelly Clarkson. She also is oh, just— she would crush. I mean, she would just kill any yeah, of these things. Maybe so, we should just have a bunch of duets. Also, I couldn't decide if it was people I wanted to hang out with or the best performances. Because if I'm president, I can just call them up the next day and hang out with them. Well, Kelly Clarkson <laughs> would be on that list, too. I mean, yeah. just as a, as a hang. But maybe we do the anthem and give different verses to everybody. There you go. Coming up, uh, not Friday and Fitzsimmons, special edition of DCN Hawani here on ESPN Radio, getting you set for Choir, I don't know how to say that name, and McGregor this weekend. It's next. <laughs>
You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.